I'll open this up in prayer and then we will begin. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time, Lord, that we're able to gather and to um, learn about church history. Lord, I pray for this time uh, that we will be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as you guide and direct us, Lord. Allow our conversation to be fruitful and meaningful, Lord. Um, Allow us to uh, grow in our love and worship for you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So, as you all know, this is the first week uh, starting our church history um, course, seminar, I don't know what to call it, um, time. So, for the next... 17 weeks, I believe, we have planned. Uh, We'll be just working through church history, obviously starting um, in the beginning and just becoming more and more modern (laughs) as we go. Um, So, But tonight is really just an introductory, uh, talking about what is church history and what is uh, historical theology. You can see the title of tonight's lesson is Introduction to Church History. What is historical theology? So, those two terms, um, church history and historical theology, have been put up against each other, and they are um, contrasted a little bit, and they're obviously very similar, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, But I want us to start talking about, start the discussion on what is historical theology, uh, besides from me, has anyone heard that term, um, used that term, studied that term in some sense, historical theology? Yes. So, we'll be talking a little bit more later tonight uh, how historical theology is one facet, really, of different types of ways you could study theology. There's biblical theology, there's systematic theology, historical theology, applied theology. Uh, They all really interconnect with each other. Uh, But this semester, it's specifically looking at the church history side of things, so we'll really be just diving into historical theology uh, specifically. Uh, But I thought it would be helpful. It's a good place to start with just defining our terms. So here are some definitions uh, of historical theology, you could see on your note sheet. <clears throat> I wanted to kind of give like just a s- different types of definitions given throughout um, the last several decades and how people have described it. You could see uh, the first one uh, in 1998 in his uh, Alistair McGrath's book on historical theology. He says, it is a branch of theological inquiry which aims to explore the historical development of Christian doctrines and identify the factors which were influential in their uh, formulation. So as we work through these, I want you guys to try to identify the similarities between these definitions and the differences. And uh, I want us to point out what is unique in some um, compared to the others. All right. Uh, Greg Allison, in 2011, in his published work, he said, uh, historical theology is the study of the interpretation of Scripture 
and the formulation of doctrine by the church of the past. And then finally, uh, I have Jason Ducing. Uh, Jason Ducing is uh, one of, or he is the main guy who's been mentoring me um, at Midwestern Seminary. He is on my doctoral committee. And so um, I really appreciate him. And I got this definition from this book, Historical Theology for the Church. I highly recommend it. Um, just a side note, all the things that we'll be doing this semester, if we're going to be following along with the schedule, most of it is going to be from this book. So if you wanted, you could get this book and be working along with us through it, and then a lot of the material will um, be really familiar. So Dr. Ducing is actually just one of the editors of this book, along with uh, Nathan Finn. So... But he says historical theology is a study of the developments of Christian doctrine and tradition from the Bible by the church and for the church. All right. So let's get the discussion going. What are some of the similarities you see between these three definitions? And what are some of the differences? Let's highlight a couple key things in these definitions. Formulation or some type of development of what specifically? Uh, Christian doctrine. Christian doctrine. So I'm focused on the past, like history, you know, so in the names. I mean, it's like they're building from the history of order. Okay. So from the past, it's history. Anything else? You can see I have um, the question right underneath these three definitions. Uh, How does Christian doctrine develop? That's one of the similarities, one of the main similarities in these definitions. Um, It's the development of Christian doctrine. Uh, What is doctrine? Let's talk about that real quick. What is doctrine? When you say Christian doctrine, church doctrine, what is doctrine? Doctrine in general is like military doctrine is the sets of books and rules that govern how you operate and act. Sure. Yeah, so doctrine is belief, a set of beliefs um, that the church teaches uh, in a in simple sense, right? Um, so with this question, how does Christian doctrine develop? And you can see the next question right after that is, is it still developing? What we need to be careful about here, right, is we believe as Christians that God's canon, the word of God, is closed. God doesn't still give special revelation. We've used that term in the past, right? He doesn't speak to people like he he did with the apostles, where we have now authority to continue writing scripture. So scripture is closed. So there's there's that, but... After Scripture was closed, after John died, the last apostle, throughout the history of the church, we're saying, um, we're studying in history how doctrine has been developed. So, 
What's the difference between the two? The actual Bible is like solidified, but interpretation based on, and even if you look back in the early church, the, as they were developing before Nicaea, there were lots of different ideas on what the apostles meant to different things. But something that's been happening since the very beginning and continues today, there's lots of really good books out there, current, like using historical <coughs> narratives, but looking at how that applies today. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, really what we have to recognize, right, Christian doctrine is the teaching of uh, the church on a specific matter. We could say, what is the doctrine of the Trinity? And you could explain that. Um, And it took time for these doctrines to develop within church history after um, the first century. Uh, And it took time because how do you... Uh, come up with church doctrine. You come up with it through God's word. Um, so the church has to take time to study God's word, has to um, exegete the text. Again, let's review our terms. What does exegete mean? Uh, it means to draw the meaning out of the text, uh, to study it, to do biblical theology. Uh, and then after that, the church took some time to do systematic theology and understanding what does the entire Bible say on a certain topic? Uh, and so, if those terms are confusing to you right now, biblical theology and systematic theology, I promise you we will get back to that later tonight. Um, but it takes time, ultimately, for the church to uh, develop the biblical um, doctrine from, from Scripture. Uh, doctrine comes from Scripture, right? And it's helped um, brought out from the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a guiding um, entity throughout this whole process. The Holy Spirit guides the church as we study Scripture and is about God. What about it says about salvation, about mankind, and about sin. And so it takes time. Uh, is it still developing? room around the edges. I mean, divinity was decided before the like first century, right? The divinity of Christ. Sure. So, I mean, so core, I'd say core articles of faith, no, not really. But when it comes to other things, I would say yes. Okay. I think that, that could be helpful. That's helpful. As it relates to doctrine of God, who is God? What is salvation? Those matters, right? These are questions that the church has been asking since the very beginning. Uh, and even before the church was established in the first century. And so those matters, uh, we should not be coming up with new doctrines as it relates to God, who is God, salvation, on the core primary matters, right? Um, But there are certain theological implications, potentially, that we could develop and uh, think through as we relate to our world with contemporary issues arising. Um, So... That's what we want to do. We want to learn how to draw doctrine out of Scripture and think through the implications as we um, think about how we are to apply it to contemporary issues. And in that way, it's still developing. All right. So I wanted to bring this and make it a little bit more devotional for us. So how are we supposed to do historical theology as as Christians. Um, actually, first, I want to back up really quick and 
give a, a small distinction between the difference of church history and historical theology for you guys. You ready? So church history reviews the history of theologians or just really of the church. Simply reviews the history of the church, um, pastors, theologians. And then historical theology investigates the theologian's ideas or the theology that was being taught. Um, so if you were to do a study on a particular person in church history, but really didn't discuss their teaching or their theology on a certain matter, that's more so under the church history umbrella. But if you're to study what they taught, what they thought about God, that would be more under the historical theology umbrella. So that's the slight distinction. All uh, historical theology is church history, uh, but not all church history is historical theology. All right. Well, let's get back to the biblical reasons uh, to study church history, historical theology. And like I said, I want to, in this section, my aim in this section is to make it devotional and um, not just make it an academic exercise. We want to do church, we want to study church history um, for our own sanctification, um, for us to grow in our love and knowledge of the Lord. And so how do we do that? Why do we do that? Um, I wanted to look at just two small sections in Psalms. You can see in Psalm 70, uh, chapter 77. If you have your Bibles, you could turn there, uh, since I only just put one, one verse on here. Uh, psalm 77, verse 11. This is a, a lament uh, psalm. Uh, and so... I will, I will read, starting verse 11, it says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? Uh, you are the God who works wonders you have made known your might among the peoples, and with your uh, arm redeem your people and children of Jacob and Joseph. So here the psalmist is reminding himself ultimately of um, the greatness of God and uh, how God is faithful even in, in the difficult times uh, as he's lamenting. And so what is church history? Church history, studying church history, studying historical theology, uh, is simply remembering, really, how God has faithfully worked in the church thus far. Uh, when I say church, I'm talking about at time of Pentecost in, um, in the New Testament when God sent down his Holy Spirit and established his church in the New Testament. Um, then, until now, God has been continually working. Uh, even though the canon has closed and God has completely revealed the fullness of himself in it, God is still working amongst his people. And we study church history to remember 
how he has faithfully served amongst us, his church. And then I want to then also look at Psalm 105. Uh, Psalm 105, Psalm 105 is the opposite is an opposite mood of Psalm 77. It's not a, a lament. Um, it's a joyous, happy psalm. So Psalm 105, verse 5. I'll actually start reading in verse 1. Uh, it says, Give thanks to the Lord. Uh, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. This Actually, this psalm was first saying uh, from King David uh, when they were bringing the ark into Jerusalem. So it was a joyous, happy time. Uh, so, again, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength, and seek, uh, seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered and it goes on and on um, obviously within these psalms it's referring to past works um, older works than what we would be thinking about when we talk about church history past works that god did in the old testament but we could apply this in the same regard god has continually worked all throughout church history and so the purpose of studying again church history is to remember how god has continually been faithful all throughout these past 2,000 years uh, that the church has been around. All right, let's look at uh, these blanks I have, have here on your note sheet. Remembering what the Lord has done in the past, ultimately through the church and in the church, um, teaches us that God is, and we could fill in the blanks. What does this teach us that God is? Faithful. Yeah, that's the first one I have on my line. I only have three lines, but ultimately we could really have this as an ongoing list. What else does it teach us about God? Just. That he is just? Who said that? Oh, Rick. Yeah, I mean, we've seen his judgments throughout history and how he has um, worked them out. What else does it teach us about God? That he is a holy God. Yeah. Another one I have on here is that he is unchanging. Right? We learn so much about God, primarily, ultimately, through his word. But then we see that those attributes we learn about God played out throughout time, throughout history. It's like a big stage of God. Um, God visibly showing who he is. That's ultimately seen in the cross, right? Bringing people to salvation through Christ. But then it continues as God continues to work throughout redemption history. Uh, is there anything else we would want to write on any of these lines? Loving. Intentional. Intentional. He's great. He is great. Right. What was that? Omniscient. Omniscient. Yeah, he's all-knowing. I said, another one I have is, he is sovereign over his plans, right? 
We see that played out throughout history. All right, so these are things about God, then, which should result in us what? What could we then say? Because this is who God is, right? First expressed and taught through scripture, and we see it played out throughout history. What is this then? How should we respond? Which should result in us what? Worship. Worship. Submission to his will. Submission to his will. Yes. I have giving thanks as well. I have rejoicing. Rejoicing. Finding comfort. I have as well. See, what I want us to see is... Studying church history, again, is not just an academic exercise, but we're seeing how God has faithfully worked in his church as they have labored over scriptures to faithfully interpret it so that they could then put in doctrines what scripture teaches us about God, that he is a triune God, that he is fully God and fully man. And because we could see these truths of God then, Come to him in worship. So the goal then tonight, not just tonight, but this whole semester, is for you ultimately to fall more in love with God as you see how he has worked throughout history. Is there anything else you guys want to put on the first lines or the second lines? Like I said, it could be an endless list, really. <clears throat> All right, well... The next section, <clears throat> uh, historical theology for the church. Um, and you can see that's the title of this book, Historical Theology for the Church. And what I appreciated, uh, what I appreciate about this book, um, that Dr. Ducine and uh, Dr. Finn as well has um, I think successfully, successfully have done is to show that this study of church history, it doesn't just belong in the academy. I mean, it belongs in the church. It's our history, right? We're the church. We're a local church. What is our history? Should we care about our history? Is it even for us or is it just meant to be um, done in the academy? I mean, they're showing that it's, it's for us. So in what ways is it for us? And in what ways um, should we be thinking through these things? Um, and so that's the purpose of this section here. You could see, uh, and I, you could see it right underneath the title of this section. It says, sections completely taken from this book uh, in, chap in pages uh, 10 through 19. So there's four or five things here. Um, characteristics of what historical theology ought to look like when it's done for the church. Um, and these are the five that he, he lays out. <clears throat> um, and you can see if you go back to his definition on church or historical theology, you could see it, he is unique compared to the other two definitions to articulate that it's for the church. Um, and so we kind of want to reclaim our history for ourselves um, and not just in the academy. All right, let's look 
Let's talk through some of these characteristics that they lay out. Uh, historical theology for the church upholds the primacy of the Bible over tradition and history, but recognizes the value of tradition and history. Um, why do you think this is an important one? This is talking about the sources that we use to study um, church history, but specifically historical theology. Remember, historical theology is looking at the development of doctrine. Um, so why is this an important uh, piece that we need to remember? Well, I guess I think you can make a case. I mean, the Bible's inerrant, mm -hmm. but our tradition and history has errors. Exactly. And so we, we learn from the successes, but we also learn from the errors that were made in our history of our church. Um, and so I think that's part of the value of studying it, that we learn from the mistakes of the Christians in the past who yeah. uh, didn't follow the scripture or, uh, and, and see the disaster that is brought upon them or their perfect brought to Christ's church. That's 100% right. All right, we take that advantage. We take this. Um, um, what am I trying to say? Advantage of this in the sense that we're so used to it, where we don't feel like we have to say it all the time. That scripture uh, is primary. That's not necessarily true for other um, Christian traditions, uh, and so it needs to be said. Right, scripture is primary, and Everything else, creeds, confessions, they're important. But ultimately, they're man-made. Uh, they come from Scripture, hopefully, right? Uh, to try to articulate the doctrines that come through Scripture. But ultimately, those could err. This can't err, as you said, Rick. This is inerrant. Uh, this has the final authority, and it's without error. right? Because this is, this is God's word. Uh, supernaturally given to us by the Holy Spirit, as He worked through men, right, to write, to write down the words, and as He then the Holy Spirit works through us for us to be able to understand it properly. <clears throat> so, but we don't want to completely get rid of tradition, right, either, uh, or history. I mean, historical theology studies history, and we recognize that history is important, and we recognize the different church councils that we will be talking about this semester um, are important. Uh, one of the most famous church councils that many of you all may know, the first one, uh, the Council of Nicaea in 325, I mean, is a very important church council, and we'll discuss why. But ultimately, that's not inerrant. God's word is inerrant. Um, one of the things I think is very helpful when you study church history as well is you study church history by the men who were godly, who were faithful to Scripture. Um, those who studied Scripture hard uh, and who were faithful parent, or, uh, pastors who taught their uh, congregations well. Study church history from them. There's many other people who teach church history um, who might be less faithful. But. So this first one gets to sola scriptura, right? Scripture alone ultimately has 
God's sole authority. And so this is how we want to study church history. Uh, second one, <clears throat> historical theology for the church uh, follows the two greatest commandments. Uh, referring to Matthew 22, love God, love others. As it is for the church Catholic and church local. Uh, what does it mean when it says church Catholic here? It's lowercase c, so we're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. Yes? Universal, the church in general, the yeah. apostolic church. Yep, so the universal church, right? So we study church history uh, for the church, and it follows the greatest two commandments. So this speaks to our motive and why we do it, right? As it is for the universal church and for the local church. The local church is is us, right? It's First Baptist Church is a local church. Um, or there's many local churches in this area, right? They're separate, distinct local churches. But the universal church encompasses us all. Um, and it, the universal church encompasses all of those who have already um, lived and died. So we study church history to do theology with the um, Catholic Church. We study church history to um, study theology, study God alongside faithful men and women who have gone before us in church history. So, but how does this make sense then with the greatest two commandments? I want us to talk about that. Uh, like I had mentioned, this talks about our motives. Why do we study church history? Uh, you might be wondering that, coming here, why am I here to learn about the history of the church, historical theology? Um, again, for us, if we want to do it as a church, and if it's for the church, it's not just meant to be an academic exercise. Uh, but we do it because we love God. Right? We want to see his faithfulness. We want to see how he has worked out his sovereign plan throughout history. We want to see how he has loved others and how he has been unchanging throughout history. Right? So we do it because we love God and we do it because we love others. So how does studying church history, why would you do it to demonstrate your love for others? That one might be a little bit more difficult for us to understand. Um, I think it's important to be able to provide the historical basis for our faith as a, as a way of teaching others the Lord of Christ. Through, through the love we see that has been shown through the church over the centuries, it's a way to uh, justify, I guess, our belief system and, and our witness to others, I think, it gives us. I mean, we always have to... When we, when we witness people, we have to come where they are. Yeah. Um, but there are those who want to know why you believe what you believe. And, and the historical part of our belief system is very important to us. And I think it gives us a, a way to express our further in our belief in Jesus Christ as well. Mm. That's really good. I agree. Is there anything else that anyone wants to add to what Rick said?
I think it's helpful if we think about it, if we remind ourselves that it's a history of the church, church history. So it's our history. Do you think it's helpful to know your history um, in order to become a healthier church? Uh, I mean, it's... I think it's it's important to know your history, to know how God has worked, how God has brought you to where you're at, why you confess the doctrines you do, right? And so it's important to know church history in order just to establish a healthier, stronger local church, I believe. Uh, when you think about what it meant to be a Christian in 70, 80, 100, like their lives were on the line just for their belief. And we live in a pretty, like, I don't have to worry about someone killing me for my beliefs in my country. But there were people then, they did. And to see what they thought and to just remember what they went through, I think it's very valuable. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And, and that way we are acting loving towards our brothers and sisters who lived during that time, right? By remembering them. And remember, it's... Um, we want to do historical theology, yes, with the local church, but with the universal church as well. Um, but yeah, it, so with that, I think it's very honorable. But then um, just knowing, like, this is a helpful tool, um, not the primary tool by any means, but it's a helpful tool to help establish uh, a church to make it stronger and healthier, just to know your history. Um, and if a church is healthier and stronger, right, then what's the primary means that God uses to engage the world for evangelism? It's the church. Right? God works through the church to carry out his purposes. And so we want to strengthen the church. And I think just knowing our history is one small piece to do that. Um, history and the way it started and how it worked, the more we understand, the more we, it brings us closer to God mm. and strengthens our own beliefs. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's good. So, I, so I'm emphasizing, obviously, the importance of church history now, but I don't want to go too far and say, again, it's not equal with Scripture, and that's why the first point is there. Um, Everything we need to grow spiritually and to be healthy is found in Scripture. Um, scripture is sufficient for all things, matters in the Christian life. So we, obviously we need to recognize that. Um, and so I don't want to make us think we need something more. Right? That's why I'm saying this is a small piece to help supplement, even though I get like, Scripture is sufficient in itself. Um, but just to continually see how God has faithfully um, demonstrated his attributes throughout time and history. So, any other comments on the first two before we move to the third? All right, third. Historical theology for the church is done as a means to the end of fulfilling the Great Commission and glorifying God. I kind of got to this one a little bit already, right? To help strengthen the church so that it could continue uh, doing its primary purpose. 
to share the gospel and glorify God. Right? We glorify God as the as the ultimate end of life or the um, purpose of life. The chief end um, is to glorify God, and we glorify God by doing missions. And ultimately, we know missions is the mission of the church, right? To share the gospel. Um, so question here, in what ways can we study historical theology um, to help fulfill the Great Commission and glorify God? Doesn't that give us an example? Sure, so Christ gives the example. as well as he did it, but that's the sure. idea. Sure. Yeah, well... Uh, we could next week we're going to be starting with like the establishment of the church. So we're going to be seeing how, um, I mean, Christ ultimately commissioned his uh, disciples to go and to share the gospel, ultimately to plant churches and to establish churches so people will come to know him. So in that way, of course, it starts with Christ and it's played out through the book of Acts. Uh, but let's think even then after that, second century, third century, on through the Reformation. Um, in what ways does that help fulfill the Great Commission and glorify God? Our apologetics and that can help with the Great Commission. Yeah. For glorifying God, there's, I mean, there's any number of um, biographies and just you get a wider picture of God's work. Yeah. Through history, even more recent history, like the last 500 years, you know, up, not even up to 2,000 years, but I think, um, yeah, hearing what God has done through people in the church um, can be very encouraging. I agree 100%. I love missionary biographies. Um, reading missionary biographies will definitely encourage you um, and just see how God has worked through different people's lives based on and seeing why. Uh, these different individuals went out and uh, went to different parts of the world with their convictions that they saw in scripture. Uh, and that does spur many young people and older people to go also do missions, right? Um, so I think that's, that's really good. In addition to everything else that has already been stated in the second one characteristic. So this speaks to, I mean, the ultimate purpose of the church. Historical theology helps play, again, a small piece to encourage in that endeavor. All right, fourth, historical theology uh, for the church is academic and edifying as it functions as friend to the work of systematic theology um, and biblical theology and applied theology. Uh, so this is recognizing that, and it also will be, I'll read the fifth one actually right now. Four and five kind of work together. Uh, historical theology for the church as an academic endeavor is done as a servant to the church, not as a master. So we need to recognize, right, historical theology is church history, and it's our history as a local church. So it's for us as a church. It's for the church. 
And so academic pursuits in studying history, writing academic books, right, is meant ultimately to serve the church. That should be the primary um, aim for it. It's not the aim for all church historians, uh, but it ultimately should be the aim for um, church historians. Right? So I like it how five states it. It's a servant of the church, not a master. Right? It's meant to help serve the church. Um, and so then you could go back to four, right? Historical theology for the church is academic as a servant uh, to serve the church and edifying as it functions as a friend to the work of systematic theology, biblical theology, and applied theology. So remember in the very beginning, I had promised I would get back to uh, these other names mentioned, uh, types of theology. Uh, this speaks to the method. So we talked about the purpose of it, right? We talked about the motive of it. Uh, and this is talking about the method. And how do we do uh, historical theology for the church? Uh, we have to do it ultimately, realistically, in conjunction with uh, biblical theology. Let's start talking about that one. What is biblical theology? From anyone? It's theology, how it develops through the narrative of Scripture from start to end. Yeah, so look at the narrative, the story of Scripture. What is Scripture teaching us? If you carry um, the line of Abraham through Scripture, and you look at the seed that was promised all the way in Genesis chapter 12, through Abraham, it's going to bless all families of the earth. And then we see this blessing continued and carried out from generation to generation, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Right? And so studying that theme throughout the story of Scripture is biblical theology. Uh, looking at a specific book of Scripture, say the Gospel of Matthew, what is the, the Gospel of Matthew trying to teach us? That's biblical theology. What is it teaching us about God? What is um, um, the main theological concepts being drawn out in that? That's biblical theology. Um, so, historical theology has to be done in conjunction with that. Why? Again, because the Bible is primary. Right? The Bible is primary. And it's historical theology is the study of, hopefully, faithful men and women and some not-so-faithful men and women uh, in history past who have tried to faithfully teach what Scripture has taught. So the people who were studying in historical theology started with Scripture, um, started doing biblical theology in that sense. Uh, systematic theology builds off of biblical theology. What is systematic theology? From anyone who knows. That's the study of theology that goes like by certain doctrines, right? Instead yeah. of like going through scripture chronologically, it like picks out certain doctrines and goes into more detail. Definitely. So we need to study God's word to understand biblical theology um, and biblical theology of certain books or main themes throughout the entire story of scripture. But as you do that, then you start to realize, oh, the Bible has a lot to say specifically on the person of Christ. 
So I'll take all of Scripture, try to pull out all the different things Scripture says about the person of Christ. Right? So then now you have a category on what does Scripture say about the person of Christ? And then you realize, oh, Scripture has a lot to say about the person of the Holy Spirit. Then you take all of Scripture and then you put that in that category. What does Scripture say about the person of the Holy Spirit? And then you start to get these different categories, right? This is what the Bible says about the, about the person of Christ, about the Holy Spirit, about God the Father, about salvation, about humanity, about sin. And you can come up with all these different types of categories. And you can see how that's ultimately a system that um, all these different things that Scripture says about it all fits together. Even though we separate them in different categories, um, that's ultimately systematic theology. Uh, and so systematic theology is a way to just... Uh, a helpful tool for us to talk faithfully about different doctrines. We could talk about the doctrine. I always go back to the doctrine of the Trinity, right? In order to do that, we do systematic theology that should derive from biblical theology that should ultimately derive from exegesis, studying the text. Um, okay, so now let's bring it back to historical theology. I know this is just a lot of big terms right now, um, but hopefully you could see how, how it's helpful in, in this discussion. Um, so then historical theology needs to be done um, in conjunction with those, right? Uh, because in history, people were doing these things and we're just ultimately seeing how um, doctrine was developed in systematic theology um, throughout church history. Um, and then as it's carried out and applied, then that comes to applied theology. That's correct. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's what Jason would say, since that's what he got his PhD in, is applied theology. And I'm doing mine in historical theology, so I don't know. Just a servant of the king of the disciplines. <laughs> yes, that's true. I don't know. It's a servant, ultimately, of the church. Right, but what would be a category of applied theology? That we could talk about. So we have to talk about, like, what does the Bible say about all these matters? And then you apply it. I mean, theology is never actually completed until it's actually applied practically in a Christian life. Right? So you could say whatever you want about who God is, but if it doesn't have any actual effects on your life, then you're not doing theology properly. So it has to go carried out all the way to the end of applied theology. Um, so an example of a category they could talk about then in applied theology is how should we preach? How should a pastor preach? That's applied theology. You're taking what scripture says about all of these matters. You're looking at church history, how different people have per, uh, preached, what they taught about it, and you're applying it in that specific way. Or biblical counseling. You could apply it that way. That's another example of applied theology. Or really just many different matters. Jason is a better example. What was that? Marriage. Marriage. I don't know, Jason is the expert in this specific category, so <laughs> he could come up with all the different types of ways we could apply it. Um, but you could see how it needs to ultimately be applied because theology can never just, well, it never is just abstract, but it should never mean just stay abstract in our minds. It always has to be applied, even if the application is just for us falling more in love with God as a result of being in awe of who he is. So, Historical theology, the way we do it, the method in us studying church history needs to be done in conjunction with all of these things. 
Um, so let's look at the overview for the semester. And you can see kind of how um, we're going to be talking about how we'll be applying systematic theology, biblical theology, applied theology within the discipline of church history or historical theology. Um, so overview of semester, you can see obviously tonight, introduction of church history, what is biblical theology. And then next week, uh, Pastor Jason will be teaching uh, church or Christ and the establishment of the church. And then really then starting in week three, we'll be talking about different doctrines. Uh, which you could think of, like in the systematic theology category, what has the church said about the person of Christ specifically in these different eras? So you can see the patristic era is considered one of the, like the earliest uh, era in church history. And you can see that's, we'll be talking about approximately between 1 and 500 A.D., and then the next week, we'll be talking about the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, and you can understand how we need biblical theology, systematic theology. Um, it could be more difficult to understand how applied theology applies in there. Uh, but we will probably, hopefully, get to that as well. But in the historical theology context, right? So what did the patristic era say about the Trinity in week four? And so on and so forth. And then as we talk about different... Um, doctrines in the patristic era, then we get to the medieval era, reformation era, and then finally the modern era. And you can see it's all 17 weeks um, for that. So I'm excited for this semester. This is just a brief overview. And again, um, I did not come up with these. I might have added a few of these weeks. Um, but most of these weeks, like the church and medieval era and these different periods, are different chapters in this book. So again, this just would be a great helpful tool if you wanted to really just pour in uh, this semester and learn a lot. You could read alongside as we work through it. So uh, preparation for next week, I um, asked Jason and he said, come with open hearts. So you could see... Uh, that's how you prepare. <laughs> so that's how you're going to prepare for next week. The uh, weeks, other weeks, uh, later weeks of the semester, we'll actually have different articles you could read um, in conjunction to reading this, if you do choose to do that, read this as well, um, just to help prepare you for uh, the next week. And we'll also, we normally have a reflection as well. If you've been here, you, you know that. So, to Revelation, but I felt like that was a little excessive. So I just said Acts. <laughs> <laughs> I had to add to the story. Man. Yeah, That's pretty much the entire New Testament minus the Gospels. Like being a good church historical guy, like embellish the stories. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can embellish. I mean, I wouldn't be embellishing the greatness of God and how He's worked throughout church history, right? Um, but is there any like final questions or comments about anything we talked about? It's just been a very quick overview, introduction to what this semester is going to look like. I finished also in time for those who are going to the meeting to be able to go.
chunks here. It's like you look at 5, 9, and 13. First two go scripture and tradition, and then 13, the modern area, goes scripture and authority. So I'm kind of curious how those will develop and present it this way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of that, though, as well, like I said, it, are chapters in this book. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, like, I, like I said, I might have added, I did add a few of my own, but most of these are just chapters. So um, it was developed based on really the person who wrote that chapter, how they wanted to develop it. <laughs> so I'm just borrowing a lot of this information. But I'm excited as well to see us really deep dive into these things. All right, any other questions? Well, I'm excited for this semester and um, just working through these matters. And remember, we want to do these, uh, study through these doctrines in church history, ultimately for us to recognize who God is so that we could respond to him appropriately out of love. Let me close this out in prayer. Lord, we love you, Lord, and we um, are just thankful for how you have been so faithful, how you have um, been unchanging, and you are unchanging, Lord, how you have demonstrated your love for us in your Son, Lord, by sending him here, Lord, that he, and having him die on the cross, that we may have salvation through him. Lord, we thank you that it's through faith alone, Lord, through Christ alone, that we could come to you. Lord, and we thank you that you have shared this truth, you have demonstrated this truth to us, Lord, and it's shared through the, your word, so that we may read it and know you, Lord. Um, and we thank you that people have been interacting with this gospel, Lord, interacting with you uh, throughout ultimate all of time, Lord. But as you have established the church 2,000 years ago, Lord, and how people have been thinking through these doctrinal matters as we try to be faithful to who you are in your word, Lord, we thank you that we can look back on so many others who have already wrestled through a lot of the hard questions, Lord, about Scripture, uh, and that we could um, use them to just help learn what you uh, do teach us in your word, Lord. I pray that we will recognize ultimately that your word is primary, and it is totally sufficient, and it's everything that we need to grow as a Christian, Lord. But we also thank you, um, Lord, that you have... Um, worked in so many others and that we can look at their stories and just to see your faithfulness, Lord. Lord, we love you. And I pray that we have a good evening, rest of this evening, Lord. And um, I pray that we'll be intentional this week uh, with you and others. I pray these things in your name. Amen.